This is Rich Phipps, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. Hey, by now, most of you know that we are in a summer message series called Game Plan, where we are looking at games that we play that mimic real life. And we're asking the question, like, how does that game make me better at life? And the whole reason we're doing this is we want to invite you and convince you of the fact that Jesus is the best game plan for your life. Now, when we left the park, we were talking about Candyland. And and if I were to ask you, how how does the game Candyland make your life better? You might be able to say, I know how candy makes my life better. But how how in the world does does Candyland make your life better? Well, the, the connection is making a connection between Candyland and Jesus, because we believe that Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. And the thing is, Candyland is a tool we're using to take you back to your childhood. We want to take you back to, to your childhood because Jesus wants to take you back to your childhood. Now, it's been said that, that men go back to their childhood way easier than women because we never really left it. So let's check on that this morning. Now, for some of you, going back to your childhood, we know, may cause some painful memories, like you had hard parents, you had absent parents, maybe you moved around a lot, you were in hurtful situations, you had to grow up way too fast. Those are all important truths, and if we can walk through those with you, we would love the opportunity to do that. But for this morning, let me just encourage you to go back to the the best parts of being a child. Like, go back to the the qualities, regardless of your context, regardless of who was around you. Go back to to the best qualities that made you childlike. Like, go back to summer evenings or the the family cookouts, cooking over a fire or playing jarts in the backyard. Like, by the way, whoever thought that handing kids, like, large metal uh, darts and throwing them in the direction of one another was ever a good idea? Like, can you imagine taking your six-year-old and putting a a large metal dart in their hands and saying, hey, throw it at the plastic ring by my feet. Now, as dangerous as they were, they were so much fun. But, But go back to those moments. Remember the carefree moments. Like, what did it feel like when you rode your bike without your hands or jumping into the pool on a hot summer day or fishing in the pond on a cool summer evening? Go back to the qualities that made you childlike. And again, the reason I want you to become a kid again is because that's what Jesus wants. Not to be childish, like we do that really well already, but to go back to being childlike. See, one day, Jesus was walking with his, his apostles, the, the people who were closest to him. And they've been arguing about, like, who's better than, than all the others? Like, who's more important than the others? In fact, two of them, they were brothers named James and John. They were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. One day, they pulled Jesus aside away from the other ten apostles, and they said, Jesus, like, when, when you're enthroned in your glory, hey, can one of us sit at your right hand and the other sit at your left hand? They're like, would you make us your favorites? Would you give us the best parking spots? Would you make us, like, the best in your kingdom? And then when the other 10 apostles heard that and found out about it, like understandably, they were really, really angry. But that's what we adults do, right? 
We want to be the most important, the most productive, the most prominent. We, we want to be respected. We want to be powerful. Like, give us status. Give us recognition. Our culture teaches us that that's what we work for. So all week long at sports camp, you know, the other week, I got to work with the team that was leading uh, the CrossFit group. So we had all these kids out there in the field, and we're making them do push-ups and sit-ups and burpees and jumping jacks and jumping rope and running and throwing, and it was so much fun. But I was out there with my adult mentality of competition, but they weren't. Like, whenever we had them running and jumping, they didn't care who ran the fastest. They just wanted to run. They didn't care who jumped the furthest. They just wanted to jump. They didn't care who threw the fastest. Like, it was really cool. We set up a, uh, a baseball net, a pitching net, and then we had a radar gun, and we timed how fast they each one could throw. They didn't care who threw the fastest. They just wanted to know, like, when they threw, how fast they threw. And every single day, we did relay races, and we kept it super fair. We just went around the, the group of kids saying, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And those were their teams, like all the ones there, all the twos there, all the threes there, all the fours there. And this one day, they're doing the relay races, and this one team kept winning, like every single race they won. And after like three or four times of saying, hey, y'all won again, the adult brain in me said, oh my gosh. We've got to do something. We've got, to, we've got to help these other teams. Like, hey, team number three, if you let this person run first and that person run last, you'll increase your chance of winning by 62.8%. But they weren't thinking like that. When we said, hey, team, you took first place, the team that took second place was like, hey, we took second place. And the team that took third place was, hey, we took third place. And the team that took fourth place was like, hey, we took fourth place. Like, again. They didn't care who won. They just wanted to run the race. Now, when it came to racing against us adults, they really wanted to beat us. To be honest, it kind of sounds like they already are. But there's something about being childlike that Jesus said is really, really good. In fact, he said it's necessary. This is what Jesus said. This comes to us from a, a man named Matthew. Now, you know this. Matthew was one of the 12. Matthew is one of the guys who was there. Matthew is one of the guys arguing about who was the greatest among those 12. Matthew probably wasn't in the running because Matthew started as a tax collector. They're probably all like, Matthew, you, you stole from my family. Like You were my tax collector. You took money from me. You're not important at all. But Matthew was one of the guys right there, and he wrote down what Jesus said. And here's what happened. At, the, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, now picture, picture this scene. We don't know which one actually asked the question. Or if he was nervous when he did, but whichever one did, he was probably like, Hey, hey, Jesus, like, all of us, not just me, but all of us, we're, we're kind of talking about this, and we're just kind of curious, like, which, which one of us, or who is it that's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Like, who's, who's the biggest winner? Who's disciple of the month? Who gets the front parking spot? Just like adults, right? They were, they were looking for position. They were looking for power. And, and Jesus, like, he'd been talking about what was going to happen to him. 
He was talking to them about, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested, put on trial. I'm going to be crucified and buried. He's telling them that he was about to die. And all they can think about is, hey, when that happens, can I be your head man? That would be, that'd be like you going to the doctor, then coming back and talking to your family and your friends, and you're saying to them, hey, I just saw the doctor. I've got two weeks to live. And your family and friends saying, oh, can I have your car? Like when you're gone? These guys could only think of one thing. Like when this happens, Jesus, who, who gets to be the, the main guy? But, but maybe, maybe that's what started them thinking about it. Now, Jesus talking about going to heaven. And maybe that sparked a conversation where they began to, to, to ask each other, hey, who do you think is going to be the most important in heaven? Do you think it's Moses or Elijah or Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, King David? Like Those, those were the heavy hitters. Those are, the, those are the, the, the men that these guys grew up admiring. Those are the men these guys dressed up like and pretended to be when they were kids. Like, who, who do you all think is going to be number one in heaven? One, one of these big guys probably. And then maybe one of the apostles said, but wait a minute. Whoa, wait a minute. We know Jesus. We, we know Jesus better than anybody. What, what if it's one of us? Well, it wouldn't be you, Peter, because you always stick your foot in your mouth to say the wrong things at the wrong time. Matthew, definitely wouldn't be you. You were the tax collector. And James and John, sons of thunder, no way. So, so they began to argue about, like, who's it going to be? And, and the only way to settle the argument was to go to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, we're just curious. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And here's what Jesus replied. Verse 2, Jesus called a little child to him. Not what they expected. Like, in that culture, most rabbis were too important to have little kids, like, hanging around them, bothering them, getting in their way. Have you ever met somebody like that who doesn't be bothered by little kids? Like, like kids are just walking germ factories. Like, if, like, they're always gooey and oozing something from somewhere. Or, hey, I could he- handle kids if kids learn how to do spreadsheets, if kids could be productive. Most rabbis thought of themselves as too important for kids. In fact, the apostles tried to keep kids away from Jesus, but Jesus loved kids. And Jesus invited kids and welcomed kids to himself. So Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. Now, I I don't know if you've ever tried to picture that scene, but try it right now. Maybe, maybe they're just there on the edge of town, maybe where there's some kids are playing outside their house, and, and Jesus just says, hey, one of the little kids, come on over. And, and these, these apostles, they're like 18-year-olds and, and 22-year-olds, and, and they're hot-headed, and they're angry. They've been blustering, and they've been, they've been arguing with each other. And, and I don't know if you've ever been you know, put in a group like that. I, I kind of grew up like that in a way, uh, not with the hot-headed young adults, but my mom and dad in our home church, they, they were in charge of the young adult Sunday school class, which meant they were in charge of the young adult ministry of the church. So they had post-high school, like through college age. And so whenever I was at our church, I got to hang out with these 18, 19, 20-something-year-olds, and they were like the coolest people in church. And then 
when they came over to our home for, you know, cookouts or just times to get together, I got to hang out with these, these really cool young adults. And it was so, so interesting because I was so out of place. I was seven. They're like 22. I, I didn't look like them. I didn't act like them. In fact, they were the people I wanted to be like. They were the people I, I, I wanted to, to grow up and, and, and be but I was just so out of place. So picture what this was like. This, this little kid comes in the middle of these young adults. Verse 3, and Jesus said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's so interesting because like, it's backwards from how we normally think. Like, again, when I hung out with young adults, I wanted to be like them. I don't ever remember them wanting to be like me. Don't you remember what that was like? When you were younger and you always wanted to be like the older kids? You wanted to be like your older sister or your older brother or the cool kids that live down the street. You wanted to be, have the privileges of. And you want to have, have the rights of and, and do the things that all the older kids got to do. You always want to be like older than you are. But here's Jesus turning this on, on its head. And he says, hey, if you want to be you know, great in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to become like the little child. Like, Forget about who's going to be greatest. Who can be the least? Jesus had a bunch of hotheads worried about seniority, arguing about who's, who's first place. And Jesus was like, hey, I'm just happy with, I'm happy with fourth place. He was like, you're worried about the greatest in the kingdom? You may not even get there. Verse 4, therefore, Jesus is still speaking. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What, like, what does that even mean? What Jesus was, was aiming at, like, was, you know, take the lowly position of a child. The word he used in Greek is tapanose, and it means humbles. Whoever humbles himself or herself like a child. So it's not so much about your faith as it is about your attitude in your faith. Whoever humbles themselves. And while this certainly connects to faith, it's just about humility. If you really want to have faith that is vibrant and thriving and growing and kingdom worthy, humble yourself and become like a child before God. So being childlike does not mean like not growing up in your faith. In fact, God tells you that your faith should be growing. Your faith should be maturing. In fact, he tells you that if you've been a a follower of Jesus for any length of time, like by now, you should be teaching others about Jesus. You should be the one out there leading others and making, making disciples. So It doesn't mean like not having a growing faith. So let me take a stab at what it does mean. And let's start with what we know about children in the culture Jesus was living in. Now, in the Jewish culture, children were cherished. They were wanted. They were were loved. They were desired. Like if if you read through the Bible, you, you hear the sadness of wives who were barren, who couldn't have kids. 
You, you feel the pain and the grief of parents who have had kids but lost kids. The Scriptures tell us that children are a, are a gift from God, and the man is, is happy who has a quiver full of them. Children in that culture knew they were loved, maybe in some ways, even better than kids know it today. So given Jesus' context and His comment, I think the first thing in being childlike is, is simply this. Recognize how much God loves you. Just recognize how much God loves you. In your faith, as the foundation of your faith, recognize how much God loves you. Now, we're taught in our culture that, the, that your value is based on what you bring to the table, what you earn, what you make, how productive you are, what you know, what you know how to do, what you produce. But do you know what kids bring to the table? Not much. Like dirty hands, runny nose, lots of questions. But you love them anyway. When you, when you go back to being a child, to being childlike, you get to sit in the simple fact that no matter who you are, where you come from, how dirty your life is, God loves you. It's not how much theology you know or how much of the Bible you can quote. It's not about how, how beautiful or articulate your prayers are. It just boils down to this simple fact that God loves you. Today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're just checking out this thing called faith or Christianity, this is where you start. Don't worry what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. You'll get to that. But just start right here with a simple truth that God loves you. And that leads us right into point number two. Point number two is just keep it simple. Keep it simple. Like kids, you ever notice this? Kids don't worry about the big things. They're worried about things like, what can I play today? And, and what would Spider-Man wear today? Kids, kids don't worry about like, what they're going to eat or where their clothes come from or where they'll sleep. And listen, I know, I know that in our country and even in our community, poverty and hunger are a really, really big deal. But in the context we're speaking of today, kids, kids don't worry about things like that because they trust that someone else will provide it. Listen to what Jesus said in a different passage, but still from Matthew. He said this, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? How many of you, how many of you worry about those things? All of us, right? That's what gets you up in the morning. That's what gets you out of bed in the morning. That's what gets you to your job in the morning. Because you know that if you don't go to your job and you don't get a paycheck, you can't buy things like food and clothing. You can't afford to drive your car. Even if you do go to work, you may not be able to afford to drive your car right now. But, but this, is what, this is what keeps you, you going. You worry about these things. But God says, don't worry about them. Now, I don't think he's saying, don't go to work or, or, or don't be productive. He's saying, don't chase after these things. Don't be anxious about these things. Just do what I've told you to do and let me take care of you. Let's keep reading. Verse 32, for the pagans run after all these things. For the pagans run after all these things. The world worries about these things. People who, who don't understand that there's a God, 
who loves them, or that there's a God who provides for them. They worry about these things. They desire and they intensely search for and crave these things. That's what the word for run there means in Greek. They don't, they don't know that God will look out for them. They, they spend their lives chasing these things that will never satisfy them. So he says, the pagans run after all these things. But if they only knew this, the next phrase, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus says, like, I know what you need. So just trust me. Trust me to provide for you. But here's a warning. And listen, this is really, really important for you to hear this this morning. When you say yes to trusting God, you say no to trusting yourself. When you say yes to trusting God, you say no to trusting yourself. You say no to trusting the world. You say no to trusting culture. Listen, when, when Marsha and I said yes to Planting Grace Collective, we had to say no to the security of a denomination that we had known and been in our entire lives. We had to, we had to say no to invitations from other denominations that invited us to partner with them. We had to say no even to a group of trusted friends who wanted to start a new church and wanted me to be their pastor. We had to say no to those things that were really brought security to our lives. We, we, we had to say yes to God, what He was calling us to do. And so we had to say no to those other opportunities. And here's what that meant for us. It meant I lost my salary. And I lost my home. We lost any sense of security. All of a sudden, we had like very little income and no place to live. But we had a God. We said yes to God, a God who loves us, a God who was saying yes to us. And he surrounded us with friends who loved us. And a new church network that stepped in beside us, he knew everything that we needed, and he provided what we could never have provided on our own. For the first year, none of our staff, Kylie, Jonathan, Marcia, or me, for the whole first year, none of us took salaries. We just took, we just had like small compensations, and that's hard. Like, you don't know where your groceries are going to come from. You don't, you don't know where, how you're going to put gas in your car. You don't know how you're going to pay your bills. Marsh and I were looking at all that, and we had, we had a daughter in college, and her daughter getting married that same summer. We had no idea how we were going to pay for that. In fact, we still look back on it, and we have no idea how we survived that season just a year ago. And then, in the middle of that, our car absolutely quit, and we had no means to get another car. All of that was happening, but with simple faith, we trusted that God would provide it, and He did. And this is a great intro into our, our third and final point of become, becoming childlike. Like, number one, recognize how much God loves you. Number two, keep it simple. And here's number three, remain desperate. Remain desperate. That, that, that doesn't mean like live on the edge and purposely have nothing, although that's not a bad idea. Jesus did encourage one person to go and sell all that he had and give the money to the poor. But I don't think that he's saying, he's saying that to us right now. I think, I think he would say, he just remain desperate. Maintain this passionate pursuit of God and God alone. Like, here's the last verse in this passage that Jesus spoke. He said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says, hey, seek first. In other words, search intently. 
Plot your course with this one priority. Make this your north star. My kingdom and my righteousness. My ability to make you who you need to be. You ever notice how desperate kids are for their parents? If you haven't, just go look for a kid who's lost. A kid who's lost has one thing in their mind and one thing only. Where's my mom? Where's my dad? Because they know that mom or dad is the one who will protect and provide for them. God wants you to be desperate in your search for Him. Not that He's going to play hide and seek with you, but there are a lot of places in this world, a lot of places in this world for you to get lost. And He knows that if you're not desperate for Him, you'll be deceived by the world. You'll be distracted by the world. You'll get lost in the world. You'll put your trust in the things of the world. So he says, hey, be childlike. Be childlike. Recognize how much God loves you. Keep it simple and remain desperate, desperate for him alone. When you do, you'll see God move in your life. And this leads us right into the weekly ask. So the weekly ask is what we give you every single week for something not to take home and think about, but to take home and do. This is something that we hope you'll have to sit down and have a conversation to keep the conversation moving forward with somebody else in your life. So here's a weekly ask. Number one, what am I chasing in this life? In other words, what am I desperate for? Number two, what's one thing, what's one thing that needs to change in my life to be more childlike? Don't have to change everything. It's just What's one thing this week, one thing that needs to change in your life to make you more childlike? And the third one is your talking point. If you've got kids downstairs in crew this morning, then this this is for you. They're going to come home with this talking point. I want to talk to you about this all week long. Here's the talking point. When I can't see what will happen next, how can I trust God? Friends, that's your... Your, your weekly ask, I hope you'll walk into those with someone you trust and it'll begin to make a difference in your life. Let me pray for you in these things. So Father God, as we, as we move out of the message this morning, we are thankful for your word that is right and true and accessible. And I thank you that you challenge us to become childlike. God, it's really hard to, to go higher than we're able to go. But you, you invite us to go back and to become simpler And that's a great place to go. So, Lord, today I pray that we would become childlike, to remember that you love us, to keep it really, really simple, to just to to trust you and remain desperate, God, for you. And I pray that we would see you changing lives because we become like little children. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.